0: Listening to the Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers, brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well, doing well, and uh, you know, excited to be recording yet another
1: episode of the Cooler Ring with you, good sir.
0: Yeah, no, I think it. Uh, I think it should be good. You know, we're it's a Friday going into a weekend. There's a ton of rain in the forecast, which doesn't normally seem like a good thing. But we've been having crazy wildfires here in Nova Scotia, and uh, we're looking forward to a little there, bit. of...
1: There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You get your uh, Canadian content included in the <laughs> podcast here with a, a commentary on the weather, because nothing yep. is more Canadian than talking about the weather.
0: But let's not talk about the weather. No, it's talking to somebody on the other end of the other end of the continent too. Yeah, so. yeah great to uh to bring people together in this way it may be uh we may
1: be talking about the dynamics of marketing in an invisible industry but uh we did manage to find this person that could talk about it so they're not particularly
0: invisible this is true so joining us today is Lori raymond and Lori is the ceo of tourmaline enterprises welcome to the cooler ring Lori.
2: thank you so much i feel circled around and included for sure. And, and speaking of Canadian weather, I grew up up in Washington state and actually married a gentleman from Montreal, Quebec, but that was living in, uh, in Vancouver, BC. And we always used to laugh about the weather report in Washington when it would say there's a cold front coming in from the North and he, and, and, you know, um, the far side was the big comic at the time, and we always had visions of great big fans at the border, like blowing that cold front down into Washington. So,
1: I <laughs> I, I will say there are a number of places in the U.S. Can, that can get remarkably cold. Uh, yes, <laughs> but y'all have a pretty good way of blaming us for it.
0: <laughs>
2: exactly yeah. it's coming from the north you know it's a cold front moving in so uh enjoyed the intro very much thank you for that
0: <laughs> Lori, tell us a bit about yourself and uh and tourmaline
2: sure thank you for asking so uh gosh i've been ceo of tourmaline enterprises since 2015 um Inherited the company when my late husband passed away and uh, had been working with him in the industry for about seven years so I sort of had that pivotal moment of do I move forward or do I just kind of put this thing to bed and I decided to move forward and uh, I love our industry. So that's probably the first thing that drove me to saying I can do this is because we are an invisible industry and it always brings up conversation about well, why do you? How did you get into this business, and why did you get into this business, and what do you do, and all of that? So, I know you folks have seen this, and and your audience is only going to hear it. But anytime there's a food product, especially, that's the best way to uh, describe what we do is we are encoding and marking of consumer product goods. So any product that you that you bring into your home. Let's say it's a gallon of milk. Dairy is always the easiest because it spoils so quickly, right? And, um, And there is always a date code on that dairy product and it's an expiration date. And that expiration date got there somehow. But most people don't usually care that it's there until they go to drink that milk and it's sour. And then all of a sudden they go, wait, what happened to the expiration date, right? That's what we do. We don't do the actual printing, but we manufacture and distribute printers, inkjet printers, specifically the inks and supplies into the food packaging industry. So food packaging, pharmaceutical, automotive, aerospace, anything that's requiring a code, uh, a manufacturer's code or a manufacturing date or an expiration date, lot code maybe right? So you want to make sure that you understand how to track and trace that product back to why that lot had a problem or you want to recall that lot. That's what those codes are for. So we always say we're in an invisible industry because people don't really care how the product got, how that, how that code got there. And they usually don't look at it until they need to know, right?
1: You know, it is interesting, though, uh, because I think there are some people that are in invisible categories that are that would kind of add to that where they would be like, you know, like the, the business doesn't know that they need us. They didn't even know that they have this problem, let alone that we exist to solve it. But in this instance, there is a drive, obviously, for regulatory compliance. That is a must. Um so they they obviously must have a know they have a need for 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 what you all do, but is it, does it is it trouble in getting beyond that, and that they just see it as a commodity and let's get it done and fill fill the regulatory need?
2: Yeah, so that's a really good question. When it, now it's very scientific how how uh, factories are being built, as we know, like it's becoming more and more. Uh, technical all the time about from the beginning of the line through the end of the line and word, how does that product get handled from beginning to end, right? So now the more regulatory compliance co- comes out and and food manufacturers, for example, will use them because that's one that everybody can understand so easily is, you know, the more and more regulations come out, it's. Partially driven by the consumer, because the, the consumer wants to know, well, where did the original product come from? Where where are the ingredients coming from? Consumers are getting very educated now, mostly because of the internet, right? And so, now when they're building out factories, they're taking the consumer into into um, consideration when they think about, okay, can we print directly on the product? Can we put something directly on the product so that if it, here's an example, this is, um, these are electrolyte tablets, right? And maybe someone would separate it from its container. The container would have the information on it, but the product itself doesn't. In some cases, you want the product, let's say it's a medical device, you want the product to have that code on that in case it gets separated from its box, right? So the, the engineers now look at what do we do with the product? Should we code on the product directly and then on its packaging and then on the box that its packaging goes in, right? So there's primary, secondary, and what's called tertiary packaging. And you've probably heard those terms before because you've been talking about marketing and manufacturing for years, right? So, so the the consumer doesn't really realize that, but there is a there's a purpose why there's a code on every part of the product. So from beginning the product itself, and then that primary packaging matters to the primary packaging matters to the store or retail outlet that is selling that product they they know that you know the the code is there and then when it gets to the warehouse that code needs to be on that corrugated box that it's all put in so that they can warehouse it properly without having to open up the box right
0: so is your business like a typical consumer or, or commercial printing business as well where the the um The real product is in the refills and the cartridges and and all of that and not necessarily in the machines themselves or or is it or is it really the whole thing that matters
2: yeah so really good question and we don't do the printing I, i i don't know if i said that we do not do the printing we only make the printers bring in the finished goods and sell the printers and the inks and supplies so yeah we're the razor and the razor blade right The money is ultimately in the razor blade or the inks for us because it's an ongoing consumable. Now, the life of the printer itself can be anywhere from six to ten years and sometimes beyond that before a factory will have to replace a printer if it's maintained properly.
1: And is it the nature that uh, your consumables can operate across multiple uh, uh, printers or are they all proprietary? I am wondering, can you displace uh, competitors' um, uh, uh, consumables without having to displace their equipment?
2: Sure. Really good question. So what is a great selling point for us is that our, our business model is we sell our product through distributors. So those distributors sell multiple pieces of packaging equipment and they sell into the factories. So our, our mission is to get them to understand that if they sell that printer, they will get the revenue from that ongoing ink supply. right? And how do we do that is our product is actually coded with a, a direct code into the printer itself and it has that distributors proprietary code in it. Then the ink cartridge has a SIM chip, very similar to the SIM chip in your credit card with all your info, right? And that SIM chip has beyond just that that distributors code, it also has the coding of that ink type, What are the firing parameters? How does it need to be handled? All that information is coded into that chip. So when that end user then puts that cartridge of ink into the printer, the two marry and they get a nice clean print and that's what they want. They wanna know that, right? We get phone calls frequently from, from end user customers all over the globe saying, hey, I'm looking for this ink. And our first question is always, where did you buy your printer from? And we can tell very easily if they're just looking for a cheaper price or if they really forgot who they bought it from, because then we have to ask them, what's the serial number of your printer? And if they purchased it from us, we can tell them, oh, you bought that from XYZ company in Nova Scotia and you need to call them. They have a supply of ink for you. And so our distributors love that because it takes out that um, that uh, stealing other, other people's customers, if you will.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of chance of conflict in that instance.
2: There's not a lot of chance of conflict and there's not a lot of cannibalizing in an area because everybody has a different customer base. So it is pretty rare when we will have a distributor run into another distributor's customer. That they're both in the same in the same facility. And when they do, it's whoever went in first is who gets the business, you know? Kind of how it goes.
1: How often do you as a company connect to those end user businesses versus just the distributors? I appreciate that you don't sell to those businesses and you rely on the distribution channel for that. But I'm curious about your you know, informing your gut instincts about what customers really want, et cetera. And Ensuring that the voice of the customer is coming through and what you do. Sure.
2: That's a that's a great question. And I will tell you we do sell to end users, but there's a caveat to that. We only sell to end users in our geographical area that we that our corporate office is in. Because when we started with this industry, we had to get an install base going. So then we could go to distributors and we could say we've proven this product line works and now we'd like to. So where our distributors are that we are not, every lead that comes in, we will pass over to the distributor. Right. But on the end user side in our geographical area, that keeps us in touch with who that consumer is. It keeps us in touch with what the needs are. We understand packaging more as a result because we are not just supplying to a supplier. We also go in and we understand that that the production line engineer or operator or the maintenance operator has concerns. And what are those concerns? The biggest concern is downtime. Mm -hmm. So when a printer goes down, everything stops because the production line has to stop, right? And so we always say, that we do not want to be the reason why a production line goes down. We never want to hear a customer say, "Well, it was our printer." So it's very important to us that we stay up with what's important to uh, to that that factory worker. You know.
1: Yeah. I I, now, I appreciate this. Might not be a strategy that's open to everybody, but it is an interesting. Um, um, a thought experiment, I think, to for people to imagine this notion of maintaining a kind of a geographically contained direct sales channel as a way of better informing your understanding of the customer. And it's, it's really a unique perspective that you get. That's uh, I, I don't think I've encountered that terribly often. I don't think so either.
2: Now, it does help us because when we, so then when we go out with our channel salespeople and work with a, dis, with a distributor directly and their salespeople, we understand what they run up against. We absolutely understand what the objections are. We absolutely understand, you know, when when they're wanting to make equipment changes, why they're wanting to make equipment changes, what's important to them. You know, it's usually cost per print on the ink. That's a big thing. You know, so we, you know, that's math and we can help them do the math and our printers will actually calculate it. As soon as you put that ink cartridge in, there's, there's, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, the computer board. It's going to tell you anything you want to know. Right. And so based on the size of print that you want, uh, let's say it's a, you're in meters. So let's say it's two millimeters in height right and it's six millimeters long you put in the parameters and that cartridge of ink that controller on the printer is going to tell you exactly how many prints you're going to get out of that cartridge based on that message
0: i love how how detailed you need to be about something that's allegedly invisible isn't it crazy? <laughs> a yeah. very complex process that fits into an even bigger, more complex process, and I think you've chosen to solve some of the the marketing and sales challenges in a really unique way. Um, you know, this idea of you know having this test direct market and and all that that you can learn from and, you know, the way that you're working through distributors. But even earlier in our conversation, you talked about, you know, the, the end end consumer who's looking at a, you know, a jug of spoiled milk is, right. is, is a consideration and something that you're thinking about. So how are you approaching kind of marketing to each of those different tiers? You know, how are you approaching marketing to this? distributors that that retail your product and and also thinking about the the needs of a production manager who doesn't want their line to go down because of his coding printer.
2: Yeah, really good questions guys. So, uh I think that coming from you know our our years of experience and and also dealing with end users and being consumers ourselves. Right? Every one of us is a consumer. So, when we when we talk about marketing, we look at it from the standpoint of what helps the consumer understand this B2B business that we're in. So we're on social media, right? Even though we're B2B, it's all B2P, right? Business to people. And um, which I think comes back to the cooler rank, right? Like we're all passing it on, right? And and I think that... um, you know when we look at who's our target market our target market and our and our customer persona in marketing speak is definitely that production manager because he's going to go to his distributor that he works with and he's going to ultimately say hey i saw this printer right and could that be something that is going to solve the problem on my production line and get more product out faster if I solve this problem, right, and so we 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 target our marketing for anybody to understand. My marketing team just did a did a great piece that went out on LinkedIn and uh, all over social media, and it was really taking something as simple as the 1950s coffee percolator and explaining how the ink droplets come out of the cartridge of ink and the technology behind thermal inkjet so it was a great piece of marketing but i'm thinking okay so even a consumer will look at that and they'll go huh i never really understood that but now i understand that because now i know you know i understand how the coffee percolator works right
1: i wonder is there a opportunity ever to you know, I, I'm I'm thinking of that example, particularly in pharmaceuticals, where you could imagine that disconnection from the package and the interest in having um, the the compliance code extend to the actual product itself and along that. Um, have you ever encountered a situation where either your understanding as a consumer or your understanding of consumers led you to uh, think of a way to introduce basically more product safety into this? Um, like, have, have where it didn't exist before, i.e., we started printing on this for the first time uh, mm-hmm. and it's made that entire category safer as a result?
2: Well, I like to think that I brought some awareness personally to, I think I may have shared this with you when we originally spoke on whether or not it was a fit for me to be on on your show you know um so uh several years ago when my late husband was alive and and was uh battling cancer we started dosing him with cannabis because he had not gotten to the point in treatment where he was having any treatment he was diagnosed and unfortunately passed away in a three-month period so um, at that time, the legal cannabis industry was had just taken hold in California. And I called my youngest daughter and said, you need to get your dad a medical card. We need to start treating him. And I was absolutely shocked at how little information was on the product absolutely very little information. It was like, okay, it's this much THC, or it's this much CBD, but other than that, there was really no information on it, so we started experimenting here after he had passed away with everything from the barrel of a vape cartridge to the little pots that, um, forget what it's called, um, shatter or something you know it's the it's the resin the resin of the cannabis the concentrate, yeah. yeah the concentrate right and so we started we started um testing 2d barcodes on these things that would not only tell you the thc and the cbd content but would also tell you all the way back to the farm where it came from and customer loyalty so you know, it you could engage the customer at a dispensary level by having that 2D barcode and they could they could become a member of that dispensary or or whatever. So we were very instrumental in starting back in 2016 here in California and really opened up a lot of eyes in the cannabis industry. So that's the best example I could give you of how we kind of took it upon ourselves and said, I think there's something more here. And 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 the industry just doesn't know what they don't know. And, you know, they don't know.
1: (laughs) know? So
2: it becomes our responsibility to help them know it. Hmm. And and then, you know, I was uh, personally got involved with the California Cannabis Industry Association and went to, you know, a lot of various board meetings and, and those sort of things just to just to get awareness out there of what's possible so that the consumer does have the information.
1: I think it's a it's a it's a fascinating space that's um, I think evolving more rapidly than people think about this notion of farm to fork and being able to trace uh, our entire food supply in that way. Um, that's obviously um, uh, extends to products like, uh, to your point, cannabis uh, and, and others. I mean, uh, and it's a, it's really interesting to think about the role that inkjet printing technology is playing in that right? as, a, as a guy who used to run a print shop but just didn't really think <laughs> about
2: it right and and it's, so if w- there is a new regulation that's changing in the food industry and then by 2016 i believe it's january of 2016 every food product is going to be required to have a 2d barcode on it now there are several types of technology that prints these codes we we have thermal inkjet, There's also a product uh, technology called continuous inkjet. Continuous inkjet has been used in food and beverage for decades and decades, and was probably one of the first types of technology uh, to print codes. So that is typically used in super high-speed production. Think Coca-Cola, right? And um, we we're actually doing some testing right now with a company, the largest food packager in Mexico right now on their bean can line and they're printing 650 cans per minute.
1: Wow.
2: So that's super fast speed. Right. And usually you would you would need to have a continuous inkjet technology printer being running at that kind of line speed the quality of the print for for something that isn't running at that type of speed is not near as crisp and clear as thermal inkjet so there is a purpose for both right Mm. now continuous inkjet cannot print 2d barcodes so now that this regulation is coming out and all food packagers are going to need to put a 2d barcode we have the answer we have the solution because thermal inkjet can put can print 2d barcodes because you need those crisp lines to be able to capture that 2d barcode and get the information out of it so we are testing on that line, and so far the testing's going really well, and I'll keep you guys posted if they end up purchasing printers from us. They have um, uh, 80 production lines currently, and, uh, and they have opportunity in all 80 lines for multiple places on those lines to be utilizing the technology.
1: Well, my goodness, it, uh, it's a, a very important problem to solve in that instance. Otherwise, you know, it, it, you know, you need to be sure that you can meet your regulatory compliance to that two D barcode, but you don't want to be slowing down the line, the production line to do it. Can
2: it's you huge imagine huge cost of
1: doing that? So, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Again, that's that that's that big mission of ours is not being the reason that that line goes down. you know because you know it's interesting Our, our operations manager used to be operations manager for nestle water bottling and he said when that line goes down because of your printer it's not just the printing that stops okay it all the way it stops all the way back to the filling line where they're filling the water bottles because they can't fill them if you can't get them down the line to be for that package should be printed. So it stops in several places. So it's not just from the printing line. And so, yeah, we don't want to be that reason.
1: Well, I, um, maybe changing gears a little bit, just as we uh, round the corner to end the show here.
2: A little engineering term.
1: <laughs> we, don't, uh, we don't have occasion very often, I must admit, on this show to interview uh, women's CEOs um i don't think that that ha- happens very often if at all um we've had a number of uh incredibly articulate and smart uh, uh female guests uh but i don't know about ceos so i just wonder if you might reflect on uh that experience uh that it really kind of um we're thrown into i think a, a bit unexpectedly obviously um yeah and uh and, and being a woman CEO in what may be an otherwise fairly male-dominated space, I'd be curious to hear about it.
2: It kind of is. Um I kind of that's the history of my life, though, Cartman, I have to tell you, I seem to always find myself in those industries. So uh, you know, I was in the industry for seven years before before uh, Jerry passed away. And you know, for me, I've always been very entrepreneurial and i've always been in management of some kind so i said you know let me take a look at this company and and either i can pull it forward or i can put it to bed and i knew that then my option was i would probably become a barista and go make coffee all day right mm-hmm. so i i said you know we have uh, a few employees here and and i felt like i owed it to the employees to really make sure that i kept that vision alive and i am more of a visionary than not. So my goal was to take my late husband's concepts to fruition and then grow beyond that. And I think we've done that. We've grown about three hundred and fifty percent in both revenue and employees since that time. And uh, you know, it is a challenge, but I always like being part of part of that uh, group of very few women in, in our industry that gather and the guys are kind of, does she get it or does she not get it? And it's sort of, I learned early on, I was division manager of a chemical manufacturing company. And I learned early on that when you are talking about chemicals and you're talking about ink, for example, the men in our industry at first Will question why why you're there, but secondarily they lean in to know to find out do you understand what you're talking about. So I think that women who um, are not afraid to embrace something as simple as a packaging line. I mean, you know can certainly go into a factory and talk to the men and say, you know, let me help solve this problem. Let's just angle the print head this way. We're gonna get a cleaner print out of it and you won't get a break in the line. They lean in and they start to listen and there's a level of respect that that is shown. And I have always found it really challenging and I like being, you know, uh, being in a position where I can offer opportunities to other women uh, and, and to men and, and to, you know, a really diverse group. I mean, I have a, I have a great diverse group of people. I said pretty soon I'm going to have to get a passport to come into my office. So, (laughs) you know, um, but, uh, and I like having a company where, where we get to offer opportunities to everybody, like our marketing, uh, coordinator, for example, used to be our shipper and we were we were only maybe five people at the time and he'd worked for us for about a year and a half and he was a great shipper by the way he did a great job he's very detail-oriented if you look at my marketing you'll know it was him he's very detail-oriented and he's got a he's got a great eye and he came to me one day and he said you know lori i really like working here and i love working for you but i never really wanted to be a shipper I took the job because my brother taught me how to do it. So I would always be able to get a job, but I really want to be in marketing. And I was like, well, Oh, that's interesting. Well, we outsource our marketing and we don't really, we're not big enough to have a marketing department, but let's see how we can figure this out. And it took us about a year to put a pathway forward for him to be able to duplicate himself and bring a shipper in that he could train to do as good a job or better than he was doing while he learned how to create his dream job of being in marketing. And he's been in marketing for us now for a year and he's hitting all his KPIs and doing a great job. And everybody comments on, wow, your marketing is just, you're crushing it. You know, you guys are doing a great job. And so I started a... Uh, A short little video that I do once a week called Tips from the Trenches for business owners. So it's it's an offshoot from the printing and the ink cartridges. But it's really, you know, how do you step forward when life sort of slaps you in the face and and you need to pivot as a business owner, how do you rise above those things? And what are the what are the day to day things in the trenches that business owners face? And how do you overcome them? Or what's important to business owners? So, if you get a chance, you know you'll see it on my LinkedIn or you'll see it on Instagram. Uh, tips from the trenches, and we try to keep it light, but we try to give some really good nuggets of gold out there for other business owners.
1: That's fantastic. Um... I, I encourage listeners to uh look that up and uh, and check it out i know i will
0: um yeah
1: we'll link it up in
0: the transcript as well fantastic well
1: lori it's been a uh, lovely to have you on the show thank you for uh uh thank you for all that you brought to it It's uh, it's been lovely to have this conversation
2: it's been really fun and i can't thank you enough because marketing and manufacturing is really unique i love your podcast i think it makes sense
0: thanks very much great to have you on take care Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at kulapartners.com the cooler ring. That's K U L A partners.com the cooler ring.